Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Today we have a special guest who grew up in Colorado, United States. After studying a bachelor's degree in communication and tourism, he came to Australia and fell in love with the Great Barrier Reef. 15 years ago, he started with Passions of Paradise in Cairns as a dive instructor and in 2019 became one of the first ever master reef guides. He is now the environmental manager who is responsible for the education programs, working with scientists and environmental groups. Welcome to the show, protector of the Great Barrier Reef, Russell Hosp. Hello, Ian. Thanks for having me. Living in Colorado, where did you learn to dive? So I came over to Australia for the first time as a 19-year-old uni student. I was doing a six-month exchange, and I actually did my first ever scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef on the original Passions boat. So the boat we have now is Passions 3. When I started working there, it was Passions 2. And when I did my first ever scuba dive, it was Passions 1. Fun little fact, the owner of the boat and our CEO Alan Wallace and Scotty Garden. Those two and myself were the only three people in the company that have been on all three boats. Oh, wow. So where you actually learned to dive, you actually ended up working. Yeah. And what was the most memorable underwater memory that you have? I know probably on the Barrier Reef, you would have a lot, but if you could narrow it down to just one for us, what would it be? It was actually when we were coming back from um, COVID, we were starting to, you know, the country was getting out of lockdowns and we were starting to run more and more full and we had a just an absolutely beautiful day out at Millen Reef which is east of Cairns and it was towards the end of a dive I was doing picking up some you know some coral surveys and we had a minke whale seven meter long minke whale circling the boat and he was doing laps right as I was doing my safety stop so I thought no rules are there to be bent Um, so I chased him around for a little bit and got probably about I'd say 10 meters away from him while he was doing his little laps and if anybody asks I will I will maintain that I came back to the boat with 50 bar (laughs) that's my story and I'm sticking to it that's fantastic I like that memory did you get to eyeballing uh yep they've got these just these beautiful dark without getting too wonky there's there's definitely a soul in there they've just got the most beautiful eyes that's amazing now russell you're doing coral work aren't you we've got actually a few different programs that we're doing at the moment probably our flagship program besides the eye on the reef surveys that we do at the marine park authority uh, is the coral nurture program so the coral nurture program is a partnership between researchers at the university of technology sydney and tourism operators. So we're one of uh, six tourism operators in Cairns that are taking little coral fragments off the reef that we find and putting them onto nurseries and just generally trying to regrow corals and you know, just give Mother Nature a little bit of a hand. Oh, wow. When you say like you're getting them off the reef, how do you get them off the reef and how do you propagate them? Is that the correct thing to call yeah. them, propagation? Yeah, yeah. So um, people that are not familiar with coral reefs, you know, they obviously are very fragile environments and coral naturally breaks all the time. There's you know, animals like, you know, turtles, fish um, that will bump into it. So we we do find these little fragments all over the reef all the time. Uh, Generally, they're about the size of your finger, maybe a little bit bigger. And so what we do is we take them over and we can either put them on these nurseries, which are like these mesh grates uh, that are suspended with some floats, or we can actually use this little nail with a wire on it called a coral clip. And we can actually affix them to the bedrock of the coral and they, uh, under the right conditions, they'll just take off and grow. Oh, wow. And 
what is the success rate of the propagation like that? So you you actually hammer the clip into the... Yeah, so we'll hammer the clip into the bedrock of the coral reef, the limestone reef, and the wire keeps that yep. little coral fragment under tension. Uh, we've actually done studies. There's actually um, a master's student that has um, come out and done some work with us, and she's clocked our survival rate at about 80%, which is phenomenal because in the wild you know these fragments it's about 50 50 that is huge so you really feel like that you're making a difference every time you nail one in absolutely we um we've actually been a member of the program uh for about four years and to date we've planted about nine thousand pieces of coral well you can say that you've nailed that quite successfully <laughs> haven't you yeah absolutely and what skills would you suggest for divers if they're going to do that sort of coral work and i've got so many questions for you sorry yeah it's all right the other question as well is do you allow the general public to come out with you to do this type of work? Unfortunately, the permit and the um, the workplace health and safety regulations don't allow for passengers to participate in terms of the actual work. So at the moment, uh, you've got to be a dive master or above and be signed off by myself through a training program to be able to do it if you come out with us. Uh, but we do actually offer a product on our boat called Be a Marine Biologist for a Day, where if you are a certified diver, you can come out, learn a little bit about the citizen science that we're doing out at the reef and you can observe you know so the model that i use is if you're on safari you're not feeding the lions but you're sitting next to the dude that's feeding the lions oh that sounds pretty cool where do you decide to put the coral like do you go out and survey a site first that might be hit by like wave action or do you go to a site that's got coral on it and you just want to get more coral on it? We actually own uh, a little over 30 different moorings, which are locations that we lease from the government. Okay. Uh, so as a high standard operator, we're actually really intimately familiar with these areas. So we go there quite often. So there's not really a lot of scouting that we do. What we'll do is um, when we've got a site that we've deemed as suitable, we will um, we'll do maybe a couple of exploratory dives just in a general sense. Uh, but in terms of site selection, what we really want is just nice big bear areas where they can um, grow once we've put them in place. We want to avoid areas where there's lots of turfing algae. We want to avoid areas where there's soft coral or anything else that's going to outcompete them. Um, so we really just want to find these nice bare patches where we can give them the best chance. Fantastic. You said 30 mooring sites that you have. Before you said the there's six operators in the Cairns area that are doing this program. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So we're we're part of a really big partnership that's um, doing this activity. It's a really good chance for tourism operators to showcase their commitments to conservation and sustainability. One of the lines that I liked on your website was sustainability is not a buzzword it's a way of life. That's from our mission statement. That was uh, written by yours truly. Uh, one of the first things I was tasked with when they sort of bumped me up from dive instructor to environmental uh, manager, they said, you know, we need some sort of mission statement that we operate by. So yeah, sustainability is not a buzzword for us. It's a way of life. Uh, the other thing that I like to tell people is we give mother nature a say in everything we do. That's beautiful. The other operators, getting back to the other operators, would they have 30 sites? One of the operators is sort of a big overarching product. So one boat goes here, one boat goes here. So they've got a little bit more flexibility. Two of the others are just small locally owned operators like us. So they've got a little bit more limited sites. Part of the reason we own so many moorings as a small operator is it's part of our owner's commitment to conservation and sustainability. Because in our mind, if we own the mooring and we're the only one that's allowed to use it, then no one else should be going there. And it just gives these 
sites arrest. You know, we're not hammering the same site day after day after day after day. That's pretty cool. So in like surface area, say acres, how big do you think this project is? Probably, you know, half an acre to an acre, maybe the best scale to sort of give your listeners some sort of idea is about half a cricket pitch or about half a footy pitch. You got to keep in mind, we're doing this all by hand. So we're not really able to cover huge areas. So we might do 20 meter square area at a time, Yeah, uh, but it does, it does start to add up, which is one of the benefits of this program. And those corals are going to spawn and then they're going to add and everything starts off small, but yeah. it makes a big difference at the end. Yeah, that's that's the idea is if we can get these little fragments growing into sort of more adult, bigger colonies and they start to spawn, then that will affect hopefully the other reefs. Interesting fact for your listeners, there's uh, been studies done about the reefs on the Great Barrier Reef in terms of spawning and they've taken into account you know tidal flow and currents. And what they found is that 47% of the reef is seeded is, you know, the spawn seeds from about 3% of the reefs. Wow. So there are reefs that have been identified as absolutely critical for the sustainability of almost half the reef. That's huge. Yeah. We hear reports on the media that um, the reef is dying. And what's the word from the reef? In the words of the great author Mark Twain, reports of my death have been grossly exaggerated. <laughs> We hear this a lot and it's, you know, it's a story that unfortunately makes the rounds because it's so sensational. Uh, but what we tell people is, you know, we're looking after the reef. Our job, number one, is conservation and sustainability. And so to anybody who wants to, you know, stand up and say, well, the reef is dying, there's no hope. We've just got a simple message. Just, just come see it. You know, come see the work we do. Come see what it actually looks like. You know, I've been working on the reef uh, for 15 years. I've been coming to the reef now for nearly 20. And they were saying 20 years ago that the reef is a lost cause, and it's just not the case. That's fantastic. If there was going to be a threat to the reef, what do you think the greatest threat would be? Would it be crown of thorns? or um, Look, the reef does face a lot of challenges, but I think if we're going to, you know, sort of paint a threat to the reef with a with a fairly broad brush, we really need to get serious about the issues with climate change. So climate change, you know, that's going to affect temperature, the water. Really, you know, if you wanted to sound like the smartest person in the room, the, the biggest threat, not just to the Great Barrier Reef, but to, you know, all marine ecosystems is water quality. So, you know, that covers everything from climate change and temperature, ocean acidification, pollution, uh, invasive species. We're, we're really talking about improving water quality at, at reef and marine sites is as a key issue. So we're looking at doing the right thing on the land to make sure that the oceans um, get the best quality water that runs off the land. Absolutely. That's a very big part, you know, when we're talking water quality. Absolutely. Now, getting back to the corals. Do you plant different corals on different sites? How do you select what coral goes where? There's a few species that will propagate better. So the big, hard, massive corals, you know, your brain corals, your boulder corals, uh, any of your soft corals, those don't really propagate really well. So without, you know, getting super, super in the weeds in terms of scientific names, uh, we tend to go for the faster growing corals. So those are your plate corals, your branching corals, your bushy corals, um, species like Acapora, Pasilopora, Stylophora. 
these are the ones that, you know, by pure coincidence are the ones that people sort of think of when they think of corals. So it kind of works hand in hand. We plant the ones that are easier to plant and grow and propagate. And those just happen to be the ones that the tourists expect to see more of. And how many would you get planted in a day? Like how many dives would you do in a day? Because you, you're you not there eight hours a day planting coral, are you? We will do typically three dives in a day. So when we come out to plant, we're a little bit under the pump. The tourists have it a little bit more relaxed. So our general, um, I itinerary for the day has our divers doing two dives. So in the morning, we'll basically get out after a dive, drink a cup of water, fill up our tanks and jump back in and try and get a little bit more work done. On a good day, if we're you know just really clicking and everything's working well, we can usually plant about 150 corals a day. Beautiful. And how many people are diving with you? Uh, so most days I will have, I'm very lucky to have the owner of our company and the founder, Alan Wallace, out with us. He's extremely passionate about this program. And we've also got a couple of volunteers that come out with us who do a phenomenal job. So if they ever get to hear this, massive shout out to them. I call them the silent achievers. They're, they're the true heroes. Yeah, the silent achievers. We've got a phenomenal team as well. A bunch of our staff are trained up to do this as well. So any chance we get, we're in the water trying to get some little bits and bobs done. And have you seen changes in your time on the reef? Absolutely. You know, every reef ecosystem is always in a state of flux. There's always, you know, an ebb and a flow, a rise and a fall. The reefs that we go to... You know, there have been some impacts due to cyclones and crown of thorns and what we've seen what i've seen personally uh in the last 10 years we've been going to this particular site called hastings reef um the coral cover is improving the fish life is improving everything's on on the uptick so it's actually in the 15 years that you've been there it's actually been improving except for the cyclones uh, well even i mean even with the cyclones you know they're they're a force of nature if you want to talk about the ability to generate lots and lots and lots of fragments that have the potential to reseed a particular area uh cyclone would, <laughs> would definitely do it and do you work with universities and scientists yeah, so uh, this Coral Nurture Program is uh, with the University of Technology, Sydney, but we've got a wide range of stakeholders that we do for a variety of projects. So uh, one of the projects we actually started just this week, we were laying some tiles out for the upcoming coral spawning. So the idea is these tiles sit on the reef, and the, when the coral spawns in November, we'll hopefully have something grow over a few months, and then we'll uh, take them back in February and have a look at those. But that's actually done through uh, James Cook University and the local reef hub. We've got a few different programs that we've done in the past. We had a virtual reality reef building program that we did with Griffith, and we've done a few things with CQU here in Kansas as well. Okay. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. It keeps me fairly busy. It's um, definitely um, a full-time job here for us trying to look after everything. With those tiles that you were talking about, are they just ordinary bath tiles like you see in, in someone's bathroom? No, so they're they're a little bit thicker. So they're um, about, I think they're maybe 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, but they're a really thick, natural, uh, unpolished marble. Okay. Yeah, there's it's just there's a lot of um, surface area for any potential coral recruits to settle on. When the recruits settle on them, do you take them out to the reef and then nail them back onto the ones that you want them to be? No. So this is actually a brand new project for us. So um, we're 
under the guidance of James Cook University. So we're, we're basically the hired muscle for this particular project. So what we'll do is collect the tiles for them in February. We'll actually put them in a chemical solution that basically sterilizes everything. And then the scientists will look at the coral structures, the actual little recruitment skeleton. So the, I think the idea is more to see sort of in a given area what the particular spawning and recruitment rate looks like. Try and work out, like you said before, what was it, 3% of the reefs do the spawning? Uh, so, yeah. So three three percent of the reefs spawn and generate coral larvae for about forty seven percent of the reefs. So I think the idea is they just want to see sort of what the flow is, what sort of reproductive rates we get. Beautiful. Can you explain how coral spawns? And can you see the spawning? Corals will basically, they've got three different methods of reproduction. So one of their methods is um, sexual reproduction, which is maybe a little bit familiar. But what the corals do a little bit differently, they can't really move around. So they, they can't go find a mate. You know, there's no such thing as ladies night on the Great Barrier Reef. So the way the corals reproduce sexually is they will wait for um, the summer to roll around, which for us is sort of the start, maybe middle of November. And they'll coordinate with the lunar activity, the full moon, and they'll actually spend about a week releasing egg and sperm into the water at night. So you can actually see this. There are a lot of boats that will go out and do special charters. It's amazing. It's like a little, you know, underwater snow globe. There's the whole entire area. There's just all this, um, you know, tiny little egg and sperm. It's kind of hard to describe. Snow globe's probably the best way I can just relate it. Well, I'd want to put Barry Manilow on before I go <laughs> into the water, just to get in the mood. Yeah. And is um, coral found at the Barrier Reef or is there other coral in different locations. The Great Barrier Reef is um, the largest reef ecosystem in the world, but you can find coral in lots of other tropical locations. It's found, uh, for example, around the Caribbean, the Red Sea, down around parts of South America, Southeast Asia. It's tend to only be found in the tropics, and that's primarily due to the water temperature. The projects that you're doing, or the, especially the one where you're nailing the, the coral in, have they used this method anywhere else in the world? Uh, not to my knowledge. So they've experimented with coral fragmentation and planting coral on different reefs, for example, around Florida and the Caribbean. Uh, but that was mostly focused on either tiles or you know, using glues or epoxies, which can be really um, challenging, especially when you're dealing with an underwater environment. As far as I know, our method's only been used on the Great Barrier Reef, but uh, I do know that there are a lot of international conferences and conventions and symposiums where the method's been showcased. So you never know, it might it might pop up somewhere. Uh, maybe I'll get a paid trip to go show people how to do it. Oh, you might get a knighthood as well. Oh, I don't know about that, but... Um, Sir Russell. A paid trip would be nice. I hear Bermuda's nice this time of year. How long has the project been going for? Coral Nurture Program started, I believe it was 2018. It actually started with a couple operators up in Port Douglas. They worked with the university to do basically this proof of um, concept. And then when the permit got approved to expand it, we very excitedly jumped on. That was four years ago now. So um, we're proud to say that we're sort of, we're not in the very beginning, but we are part of the ground floor. Being from the US, did you ever go to the coral reefs over there? No. So my um, my introduction to coral reefs was, like I said, on the Great Barrier Reef. So it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit spoiled whenever I travel. It's, you know, nothing compares to the Great Barrier Reef. I've seen I've seen some amazing sites all over the world, but the Great Barrier Reef by far and away is, is to me the best one. No, I'll have to. So I um, agree with you there. And will you go to check Florida 
out one day? Yeah, never say never. I mean, I've got family back in the US and I've got, you know, friends all over the world. So if I ever get a good excuse to go to Florida, I might strap on a tank and see what they've got over there. How do you get the word out about the work that you do? In addition to, you know, podcasts and other sort of more traditional media avenues, we do a lot of work with social media and we really rely on a lot of word of mouth our goal with our passengers every day is to get people coming off the boat saying, wow, that company really cares about what they do. Is it small groups or big groups on your boat? I'd say fairly mid-sized groups. We, you know, we can take maximum about 90, 95 people every day, which you know might sound like a little or a lot. It depends on what sort of boats you're used to, but our boat's purpose designed for this trip. So on a nice sunny day, everybody spreads out on all the upper decks and you'd really ever never know that there was that many people on there. Where would most of the people that go on the boat come from? Are they, they Australians or? We get actually a pretty good mix. So we get a lot of Australians. So a lot of domestic travelers. We get a lot of Europeans. Uh, Pre-COVID, we got a fair few from South America. We're just slowly starting to see that come back. Yeah, a lot of uh, Americans and Canadians. Are they mostly certified divers or snorkelers? Primarily snorkelers. So our, our boat actually caters to both. Um, we do also offer introductory diving. So a discover scuba dive for those of you maybe familiar with Patty, but we, we primarily, um, just want to have a nice day for anybody, regardless of what they want to do. So snorkeling, certified diving, uh, your first time dives. Um, I'd say on our boat, probably snorkeling is one of the more popular activities. And for anybody who's going to come out to the boat and, you know, hasn't really swam that much and they're a little bit fearful of putting a mask and snorkel on, how how do you, you calm them down to go out and have a look at the reef? Like, I feel that it would be harder to introduce a snorkeler to the reef than it would be a, a diver. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the best things about our organization is our customer service. So we actually have uh, committed staff every single day. So usually three or four snorkel guides will be in the water. And part of our five-star service is We'll actually go around to every single person and just have a brief chat to them, you know, let them know how to use the equipment. So in addition to these big safety briefings and big demonstrations, we, we really do a very good job of uh, personal interactions. So, you know, go from table to table. And for anybody who is nervous or maybe not the best swimmer, we do offer completely free of charge guided snorkel tours. So they'll be with a member of staff. Sometimes it's a dive instructor. Sometimes it's a marine biologist. Sometimes it's me. Uh, but we've always got staff on hand ready to take people around and show them the reef. And do you get people coming back? Uh, absolutely. We get a wide range of repeat visitors. So there are people that we see you know, month to month, local certified divers who like to come out with us when the weather's nice. We'll get people that come back You know, after a year or two. They say, oh, you know, I was here last year with my boyfriend or my mom and now I want to take my friends out. We had somebody out a couple of weeks ago actually that was on the very first trip that Passions ever did. She had she had done one of the first trips in 1989 and she'd brought her her kids and her family back to experience it all over again. Your boat is a little bit different, isn't it, to the other ones in Cairns? We're a custom-built sailing catamaran, so it's part of our mission to reduce our carbon footprint and be a little bit more eco-friendly. So uh, we've got a full mainsail, we've got a headsail, and we've got um, a big front sail called a spinnaker, which depending on the winds and the weather conditions, we, we might put those up. It's, you know, sailing is very tricky around cans because of the, the way the winds prevail. So when we do get a chance, we definitely put those sails up. Beautiful. And you know, the people that you, you, you get on the boat, um, do you get many of them wanting to learn to dive at the end of it? Like they especially snorkelers saying, Oh, I'd really like to, to get under and spend more time. Absolutely. 
every single day they've done their first ever snorkel. One of the most common comments that we get, you know, people come out of the water and they have the trip home and they just say, oh, I can't wait to come back. And next time I've definitely got to try diving. Fantastic. I love it. I'm so proud of you getting people hooked on diving. How important is social media? Social media is a good way to stay connected to the people who have come out with us and also people who are maybe thinking about it. We don't put a lot of emphasis on it. Um, we really like the work we do to speak for itself. Do you ever use um, apps like iNaturalist? No, so I've I've yet to um, get a chance to use it. Uh, primarily the app that I use in terms of the work we do, there's an app put out by the government, uh, the Marine Park Authority called the Eye on the Reef app, and you can use that for different kinds of sightings and other activities. Would you consider what you do as citizen science? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm not a marine biologist by trade, so everything that I have gotten to learn or everything that I know or you know, even claim to know, uh, I've had to learn on the side and through my own volition. So yeah, definitely I uh, would categorize myself as a citizen scientist. There's you know, there's no alphabet soup after my name. <laughs> and do photography like on the coral growing or anything like that? Uh, absolutely. So we'll do a little bit of documentation. I'll take my GoPro down there. And we've also got our um, professional photographer. So when he's not taking photos of the tourists, he's taking photos of the nurseries and all the corals that we're planting. How do you clean the boat, the bottom of the boat, before you go out to the reef? Part of our environmental sustainability plan in terms of you know having a minimal impact out at the reef, we actually, uh, every fortnight, we'll have a company called Triple Six come in and scrub the hole. So they scrub all the little nasties off the bottom. It's a little bit more expensive than a, a chemical solution, such as um, some kind of anti-foul. But, you know, we don't want to have this super harsh chemical on the bottom of our boat and then go hover over a reef for eight hours a day. That's, you know, that doesn't make any sense. We're more than happy to fork out a little extra, which also... You know, it's a local company, so we're we're providing a little bit of business to a to a local business, which you know we like to support every local business that we can. And that means you don't have to dry dock it. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, it's also a flow of activity. Yeah, if we if we have to dry dock it once a year, we lose out on the chance to take more people out to see the amazing coral. And what are you excited about for the future? I think what excites me most about the future, what I'm excited about, we're at the stage four years now where we're starting to see the tiniest little baby corals that we planted starting to become you know, these really nice big colonies. And I think, you know, just the idea that we're now going to expand this to another reef and we've got a new generation of dive instructors and conservationists coming through. I mean, it'll, you know, it'll be amazing to see what's going on in the next five, 10 years. And what advice can you give to people who are curious about the reef just come and see it if you have any excuse you know to take some time off and come and see it it'll change your life fantastic thanks for joining us tonight you're a true citizen scientist and it's the silent achievers like yourself that are making a difference in this world thank you i really appreciate it thanks for having me and keep up the good work you've been listening to citizen 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 science citizen science show 